This is Echo Zoe Radio, episode 51 for July 2012 with Eric Dalma, who is an apostle. Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio. I'm your host, Andy Olson, proprietor of EchoZoe.com. Thanks for listening. This is episode 51 for July 2012. This month's episode is very atypical. It is the first episode in more than four years that is not an interview. If you've been listening to Echo Zoe Radio for some time, you may recall that back in November of 2010, my son was hospitalized with a brain tumor. It was surgically removed with no recommendation for further treatment. However, we've been watching it closely with MRI scans three times per year ever since. Back in May, his scans concerned the doctors, who recommended another surgery to remove the spot they had been watching closely for over a year. He had this surgery early in June, shortly after recording my episode with Ryan Habana. During surgery, it was discovered that the spot was a recurrence of his cancer tumor. Because the tumor came back, the doctors recommended a special form of radiation therapy that is not available in our home state of Minnesota, and we are attending to his care at Indiana University in Bloomington, where my son is receiving proton radiation therapy to treat his condition. We very much appreciate your prayers as we seek to rid him of his tumor once and for all. As a result of lengthy treatments, I've had to put the podcast on hold and was not able to put together an interview this month. Instead, This month you'll hear a presentation given by Pastor Eric Dalma, who is a two-time guest on the show as he examines the criteria for apostleship. This presentation was originally given on April 4, 2010 as an adult Sunday school at Twin City Fellowship in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. In this presentation, Eric refers to slides. If you're able and would like to follow along with Eric's PowerPoint slides, you can find a link to download them along with the usual show notes, including scriptures referenced and additional resources at echozoe.com slash 51. If you'd like to know what you can do to support EchoZoe, please check out echozoe.com slash support. There are several things listed that you can do to help EchoZoe, such as prayer, recommending the podcast and website to friends, or using our affiliate links when shopping online. In fact, one very simple way you can help EchoZoe financially is that if you already shop at Amazon, just go to echozoe.com slash Amazon to do your shopping. That will forward you on to Amazon with our affiliate link. Everything else will be the same to you, but we will receive a commission on everything you purchase at no extra cost to you. With that said, here's Eric's presentation on apostleship. This morning, I have got a lot of ground to cover. I have 16 slides, which for me is a lot. We're going to be talking about who is an apostle and I'm going to give you a proposal in understanding Paul's apostleship. Now, let me explain. A couple of weeks ago, I had mentioned in 1 Corinthians 1.1 that Paul was an apostle, and I had chaos. I had a bunch of people. I gave criteria to who could be an apostle and who could not be an apostle, and I couldn't believe the uproar that we actually had, and it was good. I liked it. It was a lot of rancor and disagreement about the criteria that I had put forward, and I'm glad for that. Because that means you're being Bereans and you're not just accepting what I'm saying verbatim. So, however, what I have to do is I want to get back into that issue because, friends, let me just explain how important it is 
the doctrine of who an apostle is and who is not, we're not talking this morning about a doctrine that relates to how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. This is extremely significant because who speaks for God and who cannot speak for God is essential to the Christian faith. Whether it be Catholicism, Mormonism, even the Jehovah Witnesses, they all have false apostles that do not speak for God, yet they claim that authority. And so this morning, I want to get into understanding at a deeper level who can call and rightfully claim to be an apostle. Now, remember, this slide that I gave you that started the ruckus was this one here. I'm going to put it all up here. And I just want to show you, this was the criteria that I had put forward that I've got quite a bit of pushback on. And it was the, the criteria was that you had to be with Jesus from the beginning in order to call yourself an apostle. Okay, now, what I'm going to be doing is I want to give you some biblical data. So here we have this criteria that I got a lot of pushback on. And what I want to do now is I want to show you that, in fact, I think this is a biblical category that we have to wrestle with. So what I want you to do is I want to show you a bunch of Scripture verses that do, in fact, show that this is a criteria to be an apostle. Okay, and I'm going to start in John 14, 25 through 26. And the reason I'm doing this, friends, is I don't think we can stick our heads in the sand. And if the Bible, in fact, says something is a category, we can't pretend it's not. Are you with me? We have to wrestle with the biblical data. So let me, let me make the claim that being with Christ from the beginning was, in fact, a qualification. John 14, 25 through 26, Jesus says, These things I have spoken. And by the way, let me stop there. Before I get into this passage, what was the context here in John 14? Jesus is comforting his disciples because he's going to be leaving them imminently. Okay, And so he is going to be comforting them by telling them the second parakletos, the second advocate or counselor, will be coming. He is the first parakletos, but they can be relieved that the third person of the Trinity will not forsake them or leave them, but he is coming to be in their presence when Jesus leaves. So he says, These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I said to you. Now, the first thing I want to show is, notice what I have highlighted in red, the I have spoken. It comes from a form of laleo. Here it's actually in the perfect tense form. And why this is important, again, is it indicates something happened in the past. It was completed, and its effect is still with us today. That shows us, friends, in this passage, it cannot be referring to modern-day Christians. Why? Well, because this is something that happened antecedent to the time it was written. He had already spoken. And what's more, he's, notice he had been speaking to those who he was abiding with, right? It's those who he was living with. That's who he had spoken to. And this Holy Spirit is going to bring to remembrance, which is very important, all that he had said. Okay? And there we have the aorist indicative always indicates things that are in the past. So what's being stated here is that those who are with Christ, and the, the idea is from his, during his earthly ministry, the Holy Spirit is going to bring to remembrance all the things that he had said. So therefore, they're going to be able to instruct us. Okay, and let me show you the evidence of that. We see it in 1 John 1, 3, where John writes, he says, What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And again, we have seen is in the perfect tense. It's a form of harao. And then heard is a form of akuo. It's again in the perfect tense. Again, it's all about the apostolic eyewitness. 
This can't be referring to us. I wasn't even alive then. How can I have heard past tense, completed and perfect, when I wasn't even alive then? Certainly, friends, this is referring to the apostolic eyewitness. Now, let me move on now to John 15, 26 through 27. And Jesus is continuing to talk about the second parakletos, that is, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. He says, when the Helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, and you will testify also. Well, who is the you that he's referring to? Well, I think he's referring to primarily to the apostles because he says, because you have been with me from the beginning. Notice these verses that I have listed, John 6, 64, 8, 25, 16, 4. D.A. Carson points out that that phrase, from the beginning, is strictly used to indicate the start of Jesus' ministry in those passages. So that's what that phrase is referring to. It is referring to the start of Jesus' ministry. There's no other way I think we can understand that. Listen to what Leon Morris says about this passage. And this is from the New International Commentary in the New Testament. He says, They, that is the apostles, cannot simply relax and leave it all to the Spirit. They have a particular function in bearing witness in that they were with Jesus from the very beginning. And then you see he has a note here in his commentary that I have in parentheses. It's apo, our case. And by the way, the reason why, I hope I'm not in the way too bad. The reason there's no omicron here is it drops out because there's another vowel. But it's apo, our case, from the beginning. Okay, and this is his note on that. He says, this points to the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. This was the decisive thing. Okay, decisive in that, It is decisive that they were with Christ from the beginning. This isn't something that we're making up. This is, in fact, a biblical category. You had to be with Christ from the beginning. Now, let me go to Hebrews 2.3, where the writer of Hebrews, he continues, he says, After it was at first spoken through the Lord, that is the gospel, the message of salvation, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. So this wasn't according to man, but it was according to his own will. Now, again, let me give you another comment by F.F. Bruce, because I want want you to see I'm not making this stuff up, okay? F.F. Bruce, again, the New International Commentary in the New Testament, he says, our author, unlike Paul, does not claim any direct revelation from Christ for himself or assert his independence of the apostles. Let me stop there with that comment. This shows us, friends, that Paul cannot be the author of Hebrews, okay? Because he would claim apostolic authority. So we know it must be somebody else. And in fact, Bob, you've come to the conclusion it's possibly Apollos, or a good case could be made for him. A theory that's been around. Yeah. What's called, uh, according to William Lane, is that whoever the author was was a very highly educated uh, 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 Jewish, Hellenistic Jew, probably educated in... Alexandria, sure. Okay. Yeah. Good. It's good to have two Hebrew guys in here. What, what's that? It would, it would fit very nicely. And you know what's interesting? I, and again, we can't press it too far, but if that's true, then we know that Apollos is not claiming apostolic credentials, if it is in fact Apollos. You know, so anyway, I just wanted to point that out. Now let me move on with the rest of the quote here. Bruce goes on, he says, In this respect, 
he puts himself on the same level as his fellow Christians, namely you and I, who heard the gospel from those who were from the beginning, or from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. And he cites here Luke 1, 2. And I want to get into that passage as well. I want to show you how Luke understands who an apostle was. In Luke 1, 1 through 2, Luke writes this, he says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Again, we see this idea from the beginning is very important to being an apostle. Now let me show you in Acts chapter 1. Again, it's a two-volume set. Luke wrote both of them. And in Acts 1, 21 through 22, Remember, uh, Judas obviously betrayed Christ. He's gone. Now they have to find a replacement. And so Peter is saying this. He says, therefore, it is necessary. That is actually day in the Greek. It means it's the divine necessity. That's how it's used, okay? So this isn't, it's not necessary to Peter. He's not claiming that. It's not necessary to mere men. And this is necessary to God, okay? That's how we have to understand this passage. It's necessary to God that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness of his resurrection. Now, notice one of these. Who would these be? Well, one of the people that were with Christ from the beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up. And notice this term must. I believe if you have a New American Standard Bible, this is italicized. And the reason why is it's not in the text. But what they're doing is they're, the, the translator is doing a good job because he's linking the it is necessary to down here. In other words, it's one of these. It is necessary that he would become a witness with us of his resurrection. Okay, but again, the category is those who were with him from the beginning, from the time of John, the baptism until the ascension. Okay, now another thing that a couple of weeks ago happened where people were saying to me, and it's good. It's good to be weighing these things out. Is it true that Matthias was an apostle? And I think the evidence clearly is that he was an apostle because in verse 25, it says that he came to occupy this ministry and apostleship that was left by Judas. The term there, apostolase, which is for apostleship, it always indicates the office in, in the New Testament. That's how it's used. Okay, so this is the office of the apostle. So we can't claim that the disciples were just making a, an error I think the claim here is that he really was an apostle. Verse 26, and he was added to the 11 apostles. I think what Luke is telling us is to him, an essential criteria was that you had to be with Christ from the beginning. And in fact, Matthias, who took over from Judas, was a real apostle. Okay? All right. Now let me move on. Let me just give you a couple of quotes from a couple of scholars. Another F.F. Bruce one. And he's talking about this passage. He says, The essential qualifications of an acceptable successor to Judas are then set forth. He must have been an associate of the Lord and his apostles from the time of John the Baptist's activity to the day of the Lord's ascension. He must, in particular, be a witness to the resurrection, as the other apostles were. So Bruce is claiming it's essential that he was with him from the beginning, but also the resurrection is extremely important, is it not, that we saw in Acts 1, 21 through 22. So here we see two of the four criteria that I had listed, you had to be with Christ from the beginning and you had to be an eyewitness to the resurrection. And again, F.F. Bruce is being honest. He's saying, yeah, it was very important that you were with Christ from the beginning. 
Let me show you what John Polhill says from the New American Commentary. He says, Peter laid down the qualifications for Judas's replacement. He had to be one who had witnessed the entire ministry of Jesus from the time of his baptism by John to the ascension. And friends, that's what I think these passages are, are clearly saying. So what that means is we're going to have to wrestle with how do we understand Paul? Because Paul wasn't with him from the beginning. But what I want to say is we really have to wrestle with this notion of whether or how Paul does not meet that criteria. How is he, in fact, an apostle? And I don't think we should stick our head in the sand and say being with Christ from the beginning is not a biblical category. It is. Okay? Oh, I'm sorry. All right. Go ahead, Keith. Well, both both, uh, Bruce and the one slide beforehand said they were laying down the qualifications as a replacement for Judas, Mm -hmm. and specifically for Judas because he was one of the 12. When Jesus was saying in John 14 and 15, he was talking to only 11. So obviously all the people, Matthias, nobody else was there because he was there with his 11 apostles and Matthias was not exhaustively or anybody was not exhaustively there. So the qualifications to replacing Judas among the 12 were special among all of the other apostles. Barnabas is an apostle. James yeah. is an apostle. Yeah. That's, what that was, that's what's being said by the commentators. Yeah, let me just stop you there. I think Matthias, the logic of it is he would have to be with them from the beginning as well. And so just because he wasn't part of the 12 would not indicate that he was not with them from the beginning. You know what I mean? No, no, obviously he was because he was chosen. Right. But the category that they're trying to fill there isn't a general apostleship. The category or the slot that they're trying to fill is 12. He's going to replace Judas just as it says. I see what you're saying. So you're you're just making the distinction between 12 and any other definition of an apostle. Because those 12 were special by, by nature of being the 12. You had Barnas being an apostle. You have... James well, let's, 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 we're going to get to that. Now, what I'm going to claim is that Barnabas and those are holding not the office of apostleship, but rather they are holding the more general notion of an apostle, that is being a messenger. Okay, and let me just try to prove that case, and I'll just keep rolling here. Now, with Keith's admonition here about the idea that we have um, just the idea of referencing the twelve. I think that what I've seen is that this is a criteria for an apostle himself. Okay? And, well, okay, well, I, I think they do, but anyway, we'll keep moving here. Let me just give you something from the New International Dictionary of the New Testament Theology, where Colin Brown says this. He says, with the exceptions of Luke 11:49 and Acts 14:14, 14, 14, Luke applies apostolos expressly to the twelve. Okay? Now, again, apostolos is what we get our term apostle from. Okay? Now, what I'm going to show you later is that apostle can mean two things. And this is what we have to realize. It has a range of meaning. Sometimes it means messenger. Okay? You're a messenger of the church. And sometimes it means you hold to the office of apostle. Okay? Now, the reason why it's important that we know that it has the range of meaning to indicate that you can be a messenger is because the only other word that they could have been used in the Greek would be angelos. That's messenger, but it also means angel. So what would we think if Barnabas, Titus, um, Aphroditus, uh, Silvanus, if these other men who are called messengers of the church, what if they were called angeloses? <laughs> now, I'm using English plural on that, but the point is, is we would say, well, my gosh, they're angels. Well, no, the point is, is apostolos is used because they're messengers of the church. Okay, let me continue with the quote. It says, they had been called by the historical Jesus to their office. Okay, and you see the following verses. 
He said they had been with him throughout his ministry from the time of John's baptism. Now, what I want to point out is, notice in Acts 14.14, you have in that passage, Barnabas and Saul are called apostles. Okay? Now, remember, this occurs during the first missionary journey of Saul, who becomes Paul. And what I want to point out to you is that the Acts 14.14 in context, I think we can show that the way apostle is used is that it's the general messenger idea, not that they have the specific office of the apostle. Okay, now let me explain. Acts 13.1 through 3, remember the first missionary journey of Paul, named Saul here, leaves from Antioch. It says, Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And the reason why I think Colin Brown is listing this as an exception is notice who sends them away. In fact, that term sent that you see highlighted red is apoluo. And that would be the verbal form of apostolos that we have. Okay? And so they are sent out ones by the early church. And it's this idea that they're carrying forth this message as a messenger. Hence, they're called apostles. Okay? Now, does that mean Luke is not saying that Saul is not an apostle? Or he's saying that Saul is not an apostle? No. In other words, Saul can be both holding to the office of apostle and functioning as a messenger, as I think as being referenced here in Acts 13. Are you with me? So the point is, is in context with Acts 14, 14, Acts 13 seems to indicate that these were sent ones. These were messengers. And so their apostolos is not being, it's not the reference of the office, but rather they were sent ones by the church. I think that's how the New International Dictionary of New Testament Theology would understand that. And I think that's what the scriptures are making clear. Okay, so why is that important? Well, it shows us that there may be another way of saying Barnabas is an apostle, not in the sense that he holds to the office, but to the, in the sense that he's a sent out one. And I think that's what Luke is getting at here. That's how he's using the term. Okay. Now, let me keep moving. Let me show you a man named Harold Honer. He has a threefold division of who an apostle is. And he actually wrote an, a commentary in the book of Ephesians that I'm, I really enjoy and so I'm going to give you a quote from him. I'm going to show you his threefold division. And then I want to address an objection that Keith had, and I think it's a good one, and we're going to talk about that. Look at Harold Honer, what he says. He says, in the New Testament, the term apostle is used in three different ways. First, there are the 12 that Jesus named apostles. This seems to refer to the office of apostle. Acts 121 through 22 indicates that to qualify as an apostle, one must have been with the Lord in his earthly ministry and must have witnessed his resurrection body. And he gives various passages, but I just I kept 1 John 1, 1 in there. Second, now he's on to the second category. Second, there were apostles in addition to the 12. There were Barnabas, James, the Lord's brother, and Apollos, probably Silvanus, Titus, Aphroditus, and possibly Adronicus and Junius. Okay, then he continues talking about the second category. He says, these are most likely those who were endowed with the gift of apostleship. In other words, they were messengers. It wasn't that they held to the office, but that they were messengers because they did not meet the above-mentioned qualifications for the office. Third, here's the third category now. There was Paul, who was an apostle, and yet had not been with Jesus in his earthly ministry, but did, however, see the Lord in his resurrection body. Hence, 
he claimed that he was born out of due season. Okay, And, of course, referring to his seeing the resurrection. Rather than trying to include him in either of the two categories above, it is best to see Paul as an exception to the rule and make a third category. Now, this is where I think Keith has a very good objection. Think about this. Keith had mentioned a couple of weeks ago, if we allow Paul to be an exception to the rule, what's stopping men today like C. Peter Wagner or uh, Todd Bentley or the Pope saying, well, I'm an exception, if we have an exception for Paul, do you see? So in attempts to address that, what I'm going to do is I also have my own concerns that I think we have to really address the qualification. In other words, I don't think we can stick our head in the sand and say it wasn't needed or necessary that you had to be with Christ from the beginning. I think we have to address that. So what I want to try to do is to show that, in fact, Paul was taught personally by Jesus Christ, just like the other men. The only difference between Paul and the other men is timing. Okay, it's timing. And so I'm going to try to hopefully alleviate some of the tension here and give you a proposal, all right? Now let me show you some of my concerns, and then hopefully we'll alleviate these as well. First of all, I think being with Christ from the beginning is an important criteria. Again, we can't put our heads in the sand and say it's not there. I think it's scriptural. So number one, how do we answer those who today claim to have seen the resurrected Christ? In other words, somebody could say, I saw the resurrected Christ. And we would say, well, no, you didn't. And they would say, yes, I did. And no, you didn't. And we'd sound like two five-year-olds in an argument, right? Okay. Well, one of the ways we could say, well, were you with Christ from the beginning? And if you weren't with Christ from the beginning, you can't claim to be an apostle. However, we have this exception that Keith is pointing out. Paul wasn't with them from the beginning. Okay. However, Keith pointed this passage out, and I think it's very astute. In fact, Bob wrote about this And I just found it this week. I wish I would have talked to you before I got into apostleship before. But he wrote this in his CIC article, and he points out something very interesting. 1 Corinthians 15, 5 through 8. Listen to what's stated here. This is about the resurrection of Christ that we're celebrating today. And listen to what Paul says. He says, And that he, that is Jesus, appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. That phrase, and last of all, in the Greek has to do with the last in a numerical sequence. And so here's the point. Paul is claiming that he is the last to ever have seen the resurrected Lord. Okay? What Paul is doing is he's claiming to be the last, and therefore there can be nobody else that claims to have seen the resurrected Lord. Are you with me? So, in other words, now we don't necessarily need the criteria that you were with Christ from the beginning because now Paul, in Scripture, has said that he was the last to ever see. So, see Peter Wagner, the Pope, and these other men that are claiming apostleship today, they can't claim it. They can't claim to have seen the resurrected Lord. I think that's a great fix. Yeah, Keith. The other thing that this is saying is Paul's making the claim that he saw the resurrected Christ he had objective witnesses, actually hostile witnesses on the, on the road that, to saw, that saw something physically. He had, his eyes actually had something physical fall off him. Mm-hmm. And the other apostles themselves testified to the fact that Paul had actually seen something. Amen. So if Paul 
if Peter says Paul has seen the resurrected Christ, we have a very good witness, and see Peter Wagner doesn't have that. That's capability. right. Very good point. Yeah, and, I, and I'll actually be using a passage that I think we can use. So the point is, is my concern number one, I think, is addressed without having to hold to the criteria of being with Christ from the beginning or in, in his earthly ministry. However, I still think it's an important criteria. What do we do? Number two, here's another concern that I have. How do we answer those who claim that Paul presents a contradiction to the apostolic credentials listed in the previous passages? Again, I think if we say, well, no, you didn't really have to be with Christ from the beginning, we're saying something other than what's in the biblical categories. Okay, we really have to address that, and that's what I want to accomplish next here. And, and number three, my other concern is now all who saw the resurrection, not all who saw the resurrection were apostles. So, in fact, think about it. 500 eyewitnesses saw the resurrected Christ at one time, yet were all of them apostles? Well, no. And could all of them claim to be apostles? No. So certainly, just because you saw the resurrection and you were an eyewitness to it doesn't mean that you could claim to be an apostle. So how is it remedied? Well, let me show you what Gordon Fee says in his commentary on 1 Corinthians 15.8. He says this, But since others who saw the risen Lord did not become apostles, what most likely legitimized his apostleship was the accompanying commissioning. Now, I agree. I think that's really, really well said. The problem is, is how do we verify someone's commissioning or their calling it seems rather subjective in other words what i'm getting at is if paul is an exception and he claims that he's being commissioned see peter wagner could claim to be commissioned are you with me in other words let's try to find an objective standard that would in fact show that paul has been commissioned so with that let me give you my two categories and this is how i understand apostleship now again from my studies of the scripture i think there's two categories the first one is that of the office it is the 12 plus James. I think a good case can be made for James that, in fact, he was with Christ from the beginning, that he is, in fact, called an apostle. It's determined by how you understand 1 Corinthians 15.7 and Galatians 1.19. I think in both of those passages, the most likely rendering of the Greek is that James is included in the category of the office of apostle. Okay. And I think a good case can be made that he was with Christ from the beginning. And I'll show you a passage here in a second. And Paul. So I think these are those who held to the office of the apostle. The second category, again, would be the second way the term apostolos is used. It is that of a messenger. These are people who are sent out. And does that mean that they're not important? No, it means that they're very important because they're sent out under the office, the apostolic authority of those who hold to the office, and therefore under the authority of Christ themselves, they are sent ones in that they carry the gospel to the dying world. Okay, But these messengers would be the messengers like Barnabas, Titus, Silvanus, etc. Okay, And in fact, in every single passage you look at where these men are called apostles, a very good case can be made that it's this type of rendering. In other words, it's, they're being called messengers. It's not that they're holding to the office, but that they're messengers of the church. So those are the two categories that I see. Now, let me explain why I think we can say that James and his brothers certainly are with Christ from the beginning. Look at John 7, 3. It says, Therefore his brothers, that is Jesus' brothers, said to him, Leave here and go into Judea, so that your disciples also may see your works, which you are doing. His brothers, remember, friends, didn't believe. They didn't believe in the beginning, did they, until they saw the resurrected Christ. However, we know that, for instance, Thomas may not have believed. And he was numbered among the twelve, was he not? Unless I see his, his scars, he won't believe. In John 20, 28, he says, My Lord, my God, 
And now we don't know if he didn't believe prior. We don't know. But the point is, is we can clearly, I think, say that James was more than likely with Christ from the beginning of his ministry, and therefore he would fulfill that criteria. Okay, so he would not be an exception like Paul. So now let me give you evidence that Paul met the standard. And what I mean by this is that Paul meets the standard of being personally instructed by Jesus Christ identically, or I should say to the same degree and for the same time, the amount of time as the other apostles were. It just wasn't from the beginning. So now what you have is the only exception about Paul, and he admits that he's untimely born. He's untimely born in that he saw the resurrected Christ late, and I think we can make the claim that he was also instructed late. And so he, in that sense, is an exception. He was late. But we can verify, as Keith has said, from the other apostles who were with Christ from the beginning that they regarded him as an apostle. Okay? So let me show you the evidence that, in fact, Paul comes very close to the standard other than just timing. It comes from Galatians 1:11 through 12. And remember the issue at Galatia, Paul is having to refute the Judaizers who are claiming that they have to hold to the Mosaic law, that is, they have to engage in circumcision, they have to engage in Sabbath-keeping in order to be saved, and they are questioning Paul's apostleship and saying that he only got the message from other men, and therefore his message is corrupted, it's not from God. And so Paul is actually going to claim, no, he got his message straight from Christ himself. And, and, and let me just set up the context. Remember in Galatians 1.8, Paul says, if I, or he says, even if an angel from heaven would preach to you a different gospel than the one I had preached, let him be an anathema, right? And then he reiterates it again in verse 9. I say again, if anyone preaches a different gospel than the one I had preached, let him be an anathema, literally cursed of hell. Now what he's going to do is he's going to lay out the gospel that he has is not from man, it's from God. Okay, that's what he has to do. And so in verses 11 through 12, he says, for I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but through revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice this phrase in your uh, New American Standard. It'll say, but I received it, or received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. What I'm trying to do is just to be as, uh, I put in my own translation here, to be as straightforward to the Greek as I can. This is just what the Greek would say. It would say, but through revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay. Now let me explain why this is important. There's a debate about this term revelation. You see revelation right here. Is it singular or is it plural? Well, of course it's singular here. And the reason why this is important is if it's singular, it would seem to give more evidence that what Paul is referring to is the resurrection eyewitness account that he had on the road to Damascus that we see in Acts 9. But if it would be plural, it would seem to indicate that he underwent ongoing revelation. In other words, it was this is regarding him being taught personally by Christ because he's going to be undergoing ongoing instruction. So it would be many revelations, as it were. Now we know, in fact, that Paul had many revelations later on, 2 Corinthians 12.1, he says, boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. So here we know that he does have subsequent revelations. However, he couldn't even speak about this one that he's talking about. And, in fact, that's why he got the thorn in the flesh, so he wouldn't boast in this revelation that he was caught up to the third heaven. But we know that Paul did have subsequent revelations, plural. Okay, In fact, in Galatians 2.2, 2, 
we know that Paul goes up to Jerusalem, and the reason why he does is because he had a revelation. So we know that he has ongoing plural revelations, but is that what he's referring to here? Well, let me give you the case that I think the revelation being spoken of here is his instruction in the gospel. Why? Let me highlight a couple of verbs here. First of all, received. This comes from paralabano or paralabano. And paralabano has to do with the reception of information regarding doctrine. Okay, and, and it fits very nicely because what doctrine would be being discussed or would be being taught well, would be the gospel, wouldn't it? Okay, so in other words, Paul is saying, I neither received it. In other words, I didn't receive this type of instruction that is the gospel from man. And then he repeats it. He says, nor was I taught it. So he's really saying the same thing twice. Taught there is didasco. It means to teach. So the point is the context here has to do with the teaching of the content of the gospel. It has to do with the instruction of the content of what the gospel was. And then he has this adversative here, this conjunction. It says, but. So we have this strong contrast. He did not receive it, and nor was he taught it by men. But what? But through revelation of Jesus Christ. So here's my point. The issue isn't whether revelation is singular or plural, because what Paul is getting at, friends, is a category. He wasn't taught the gospel by man. That's what he has to refute. That's the context of the passage. What he's saying is, I was taught by Christ. It's a different category. It's of the revelation category. He got it from Christ. Okay, now, does that incorporate seeing the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus? Sure it does. I don't think it's either or. It's both and. But this also has to do with the content of the gospel. And in context, that is what's being discussed here because of reception and being taught not by man but by Christ. That's what's going on here. Now, the other thing we have to decide is this is a subjective or objective genitive. That is, when it says revelation of Jesus Christ, if it's a subjective genitive, that means it's Jesus Christ revealing himself, and that would have to do with him revealing himself in such a way where he's teaching. He's doing the teaching. Okay, so a subjective genitive would fit in very nicely with the idea that the Lord is giving teaching to Paul. An objective genitive would be one where Jesus is the object, and therefore it would tie in nicely with if what's being referred to here by the Revelation is that it's referring to Jesus Christ being eyewitnessed by Paul, that is his resurrection. Are you with me? Okay, now the case that I would make is it may be both. It may be the category that Paul or uh, Bob alluded to that Paul does use uh, periodically where he leaves it ambiguous because it's what's called plenary. It's not either or, it's both and. But I'll tell you, the theological dictionary of the New Testament sees this as a subjective genitive. Okay, And let me give you some good evidence that, in fact, it is a subjective genitive. In other words, it has to do with the instruction of the content of the gospel, not just Jesus being seen. Okay, And the, the reason why we have, not only in the context, remember, what's being stated here? The gospel, it's the content of the gospel. He received it not from man, nor was he taught it. This is talking about content. So the context favors a subjective genitive. And look at how it's used elsewhere, Ephesians 1.17. That is the term revelation, apocalypsis, that's used here, and it's used also here. Look at the context in Ephesians 1.17. It says, The Father of glory may give to you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation, apocalypsis here, in the knowledge of him. And it's used same way, talking about the revelation of the content of the gospel's doctrine. It's used in Romans 16.25, 1 Corinthians 4.6, Ephesians 3.3 3 and 3.5. 3, 
So that's how that term is used. So very likely, this is a subjective genitive, and therefore, it has to do with the instruction related to the gospel. That's what that revelation's about. Now, hold on to that piece of the puzzle. If it's true that this is about Paul being instructed about the content of the gospel, listen to what else he has to carry on the argument and say, no, I didn't go immediately to see the apostles and consult them. Why? Because he was getting his instruction from the Lord. That's the case that I'm building. Galatians 1.15 through 18. He says, But when God, who had set me apart from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me. Now, by the way, there's a preposition here, right here, this in me. That is N in the Greek. There is a man in the New International Dictionary of New Testament Theology that wrote a whole article about theology and prepositions. And in that preposition, he actually cites this verse. He says, This is a preposition that indicates Paul was receiving instruction. It has to do with the locative sense that Christ is revealing who he is to Paul. And it more than likely would indicate that the revelation that we saw earlier in Galatians 1, 11 through 12 is talking about being taught the gospel and the content thereof. Now, would that alleviate again the idea that Paul was an eyewitness in Acts 9? No, it incorporates that. Okay, But again, it has to do with instruction. I think that just adds to our case so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And he goes on, he says, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. The idea that he did not get any instruction from man again. He says, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. Friends, my point is here is he was gone for three years before he saw the apostles. Now, does it specifically state that he was meeting Jesus at 8 a.m. and they had school until 5 p.m.? No, I don't know. But what I am saying is in context of the passage, he is being instructed. I think he's making the case that he is being instructed personally by Jesus Christ. He did not get the gospel and the content thereof by man. This was from God. And interestingly enough, the disciples, their earthly ministry with Christ was for three years. In fact, Harold Honer, he wrote a book. By the way, if you get a chance to buy a book that you'll just want to read, it's, it's fairly short, and you want to lay out in suntan or something, you want to read a fun book, Chronological Aspects of the Life of Christ. It is a great read. Ryan actually told me to buy it a few years ago, and I love it. And anyway, in that book, Harold Honer says this. He's, and I think it's the final word on some of the chronological aspects of the life of Christ. He says, The three-year ministry has good bases from both the synoptics and the gospel of John. So in other words, the point is, is how long did Jesus' ministry last with his disciples the first time? It was three years. How long is Paul gone in Arabia, and I think more than likely receiving instruction about the gospel from the Lord himself? Three years. So now again, in a sense, he's untimely born. The only thing that's different is he's getting the instruction late. Well, we already know that he saw the resurrected Lord late. And so that's the only difference now. The only difference is it's late. And in that sense, Paul is an exception. But he's not an exception in that he saw the resurrected Christ and he was personally instructed by Christ. In that, he is not an exception. He is just like the apostles. Okay? That's the case I want to put out. Now, this is the claim that I want to say to the world. If somebody claims to be an apostle, this is what we can say about Paul. We can say he is an apostle and you're not. Okay, so if these people are going to be rascals like the Pope or anybody else and claim to be an apostle, no, Paul is an apostle and you're not. So let me show you how the 12 and the Paul and Paul line up. 
instructed personally by Christ, and this is a definition that Keith had helped me with, because again, the issue isn't necessarily the timing, the issue is being personally instructed by Christ. Okay? And with the twelve, yes, they were personally instructed, and so was Paul. So was Paul. How long? Three years. Did they both see the, both groups see the resurrection? Yes. Did they all do miracles? Yes. Did they preach the same gospel? Yes. And was their calling verified? Yes. Now let me show you how we can take Paul's calling, his calling to be an apostle, and say it in fact was verified and validated by those who were with Christ from the beginning. We got a great passage for it, and we can point this out. Second Peter three fifteen through sixteen. Peter says this. He says Paul according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and the unstable distort is also what? The rest of the scriptures. So what Peter is claiming is that what Paul wrote is scripture. And what is the definition of scripture? That it is an inerrant or infallible, I think they're fairly interchangeable, it is the inerrant and infallible word of God. Okay, so now let's take that logic and let's look at some categories. Remember, again, he's claiming that what Paul wrote is, in fact, the word of God. And that's extremely important because then if it's the word of God, what Paul wrote, Paul testifies that he is an apostle. And Peter, who was with Christ from the beginning, says that what Paul says is from the Lord. And when Paul then therefore declares that he is an apostle... It is now eyewitnessed and verified by those who are with him that is with Christ from the beginning. And so now we know that Paul is an apostle. And what's more, you see like all the, <laughs> the lines, yeah? Uh, I was a little worried. I wasn't going to get that to work out. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15.8, again, remember the passage. And last of all, talking about the resurrection appearances of Christ, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Follow the logic. If it's true that, in fact, Paul writes scriptures, therefore everything he says in the scriptures is true, which is the case, and it's attested by Peter who was with him from the beginning, that is Christ from the beginning, then therefore Paul must be an apostle, and there he's also the last of them. That is Christ, he was the last one to have seen the resurrected Christ. So no one else can claim to have seen the resurrected Christ. So says Paul, and Paul is verified and validated by those who are with him, with Christ from the beginning. Okay, And... What's more is, I'm going to show you a category that Paul himself gives us. I think that's important. 1 Corinthians 9.2, he says to the Corinthians, he says, If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are what? You are the seal of my apostleship. The seal is the idea of authentication. They, the, the ministry that he had with them in their turning to the Lord from the crass and pagan-like ways was absolute proof to the world that, in fact, Paul was an apostle. That's the claim that Paul is making. And again, that, the claim that he's making is what? It's scripture, so says one who was with Christ from the beginning. Okay, And so therefore, friends, no one else can claim to be an exception in the sense that Paul was. Okay, Why? Because nobody else was the last. No one else can claim to be an apostle. No one else was verified and validated by one who was with Christ from the beginning. And therefore, we have, I think, a neat picture. Yeah, go ahead, Keith. Yeah, so, and, and we both agree on the, this definition. Yeah. I would even say there's another passage that would... So if, if we added to the definition, they're personally instructed by Christ and the calling is verified by the other apostles. Yeah. Because what we have in Acts 15... Oh, yeah. 
is the apostles and elders getting together and talking about something because some had gone out claiming to speak for God, saying you had to be circumcised, which was the ones Paul was fighting. Right. And James and the apostles that sent wrote in Acts 15:24, since we have heard that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction have disturbed you with their words and settling your souls, it seemed good of us, good to us, having become of one mind to select men to send to you our beloved Barnabas and Paul. And then they, they go on. So yeah. there's certain people going out there claiming they have the authority that, that don't or didn't. Right. And the other apostles were banding together and labeling them as someone exactly. that didn't have that. Right. Well said. Yeah. Thanks, Keith. Well, with that, yeah, we got questions. And I'm, I'm done. I've, I've shot all my ammo here. So, yeah, we got one back there. And then oh, well, why don't, before you move that back, why don't we have um, Stefan? I was just curious because... You're saying that last of all means the final in a chronological order. Yeah. I'm just curious how that works since we have hope that all of us will see Jesus Christ again when he comes back yeah. at the second coming, the resurrection, and how that works out with the yeah. chronological order. Yeah, being, I think what's being stated here is during this church age, until the parousia, until his coming, until we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air, he's the last of all. Certainly, when he comes and we're raptured, then yes, we can claim to see him as he is, as it says in 1 John 3, 2. Yeah, yeah well said, good. I'm glad you pointed that out. Very important. Yeah, back there. So uh, I think you've just clarified that, that, that in context, uh, Paul saw, had a uh, revelation, saw Jesus Christ at that chronological time, as opposed to these... Uh, prophetic movement apostles that say that they've had an unmediated experience right. up in the heavenlies yep. and have seen uh, Paul the Apostle and Jesus Christ and everybody else. Right, right. Yeah, that, so that's how they get around uh, saying that, uh, you know, that... Uh, you have to have seen Christ. They say, well, I saw him yesterday. I had, a, had this vision. Yeah, exactly. It's subjective. And, and how do you, you... And so, again, with our criteria is... Paul is speaking authoritatively from God, and he says he is the last of all in a series that is to see the resurrected Christ during this age. And therefore, they're, they're a $3 bill, those who have claimed to have seen the resurrected Christ until the parousia. Okay, they're a, th- they're a $3 bill. That's all we can say. Yeah. What, what Paul is claiming is endorsed by the other apostles. So it wasn't just yeah, Paul's exactly. word saying, I saw Christ. Yep. It's, if we could read in the Scriptures... Does see Peter Wagner also saw Christ, then maybe we could do it, but it's not there. That's right. So he's wrong. Exactly. Well said, yeah. Yeah. I was curious. I know, well, I guess we know that uh, Paul was a high-ranking Jew and probably would have been around Jerusalem at the time of Christ and probably was about born about a similar time of Christ. Does that play into this at all, that... Hmm. He maybe was around, maybe even did see yeah, Christ but, before or after the sure. resurrection, before it's he great. was it's converted. A, it's, a good, it's a good thought. I'll tell you what, Chris, the one thing, though, is it's interesting, the qualification isn't just back to, in other words, for those who were with him from the beginning. It would have been in the very beginning of Christ's ministry. And so just merely being present at the resurrection wouldn't suffice for that criteria. Um, however, I never even thought of that. That's interesting. But, yeah, I don't think that would, uh, yeah, I don't think he... Paul was there for that. And, and likewise, Barnabas, it would be tough to claim that he was because um, Barnabas, I believe, was from um, Cyrene, I think, if I recall correctly. Um, does anybody remember? I think he was a... Oh, 
Oh, Cyprus. Yeah, that's right. Cyprus. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, he was a... What, is he, what, do you, what does that make one if you're from Cyprus? A Cyprian. That's, that's right. A Cyprian. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So he couldn't claim, I don't think, either to be with Christ from the beginning. Yeah. And, and, but again, I don't think it's a problem because Acts 14.4 and 14.14 in context, I think they're sent out ones in the messenger sense. Okay. But anyway, yeah, great question. That's good. Yeah. Are you saying on the last of all, is that just in reference to he's the last of the apostles or yeah. the last of anyone until the second coming? Well, he's, I would say it's both. It's not either or, it's both and. But what's interesting, you bring up a good point. I wish I would have put the rest of the context on there because he's, he's talking about the apostles. He's talking about um, the 500, James, the rest of the apostles. He talked about Cephas earlier. But in the context right there, he's really talking about the apostles, last of all, as one who was untimely born. Yeah. I mean, you could, in some sense, the, the 13th one, uh, Joseph, that wasn't elected by the 12 or wasn't chosen by lot by the 12, mm-hmm. like Matthias was, he had the qualifications according to them. Yeah. And if he came to, if, he, if we were at that time, we were living someplace, and he came and said, I heard Jesus say thus and so, his words would be like God's words as well because he's communicating what he audibly heard Jesus say in as much as he's telling the truth, mm-hmm. we should obey and we should listen to him. Yeah. When those people died out that actually heard what Jesus said, and Paul, who had actually heard what Jesus said, there are none. That's right, that's right, that's right. And that's why what we're claiming here at Twin City Fellowship is that there can no longer be the office of the apostle. Okay, It's, it's not a category that can be present now. Yeah, James. I think it's interesting that prior to the day of Pentecost, they picked Matthias to be the 12th apostle. Yeah. But after the day of Pentecost, when James was beheaded, mm. they didn't pick another apostle to replace him. That's a very good point, yeah. Yeah, yeah well said. Well, with that, um, by the way, anybody who has to sing that has a, a voice that's worthy of singing upstairs, I don't. But anybody that does is supposed to go upstairs. And Jim has given me the signal. So with that, um, blessings, all you talented ones. We'll think of you uh, while we eat the donuts. Yeah. But I tell you what, does anybody have any other questions or comments? Or otherwise, we can certainly um, be done a little early. It's fine. Is everybody good? Well, blessings. Have a great resurrection day. That wraps up episode 51. Thanks again for listening. You can find show notes, including a detailed outline of the discussion, references to scriptures mentioned in the show, and additional resources by going to echozoe.com slash 51. Given our family's current situation and my son's medical treatments, the plans for the August episode are up in the air. We may have another sermon or topical presentation if we can't resume the normal interviews, but Lord willing, we'll be back again next month for the August episode.